Hey, Blenders. On this week's show, we react to the new trailer for Stephen King's The Stand. We play zombie movie blend, and we have Aaron Sorkin as our special guest. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 139 of Real Blend, a podcast that has a hunger for human flesh all of a sudden. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. That's a reference to Zombie Movie Blend, which we're playing later in the game, for people who might think that it's strange that we were hungry for human flesh. You should have, um, just, you should have given that no context whatsoever. You should have just left it alone? Yeah. Just roll right through it. Uh, this week, The Trial of the Chicago 7, one of the best films uh, that... A that two of us have seen this year. At least I, I gotta get I gotta get our third opinions on it. Kev, I like the film. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. I, I, yeah. I forgot whether you uh were, were down with this as well too. And then uh, a hashtag if it happens. So peek behind the curtain. We are recording on Monday. We are theoretically going to be joined by Aaron Sorkin this week on the show, and we're very very excited. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, and so hopefully by the time you guys are listening to it, we'll be able to throw it to. To our guest, Aaron Sorkin, discussing the trial of the Chicago 7. And by we, I mean Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Hi, Sean. If we don't have it, what are we putting in that 10-minute window? In our, are just like breathing sounds? Probably, yeah. Or zombie... We're, we're all, all going to walk and talk together. Zombie-eating flesh sounds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that other voice, obviously, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. My man, how are you? And Gabe was going to punch in and say something. Gabe, you had a funny line? Oh, I was going to say I could give him, you know, 10 minutes of elevator music. Could do that. Royalty free. Yeah. You know. Van Halen? Oh, we can't play any Van Halen stuff. Gosh. We'd, we'd, have, to, have, to, we'd have to charge a lot more for our we'd premium episodes. Spend a lot of money for that. Housekeeping. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Good to see you guys. Uh, Kevin, you're wearing that hat. Is it because of October? I, I've noticed you wear the shining hat a good deal. I just grabbed it off of my hat rack. Ah. But I mean, I, 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 but no, no, I, I particularly do love this hat. I wear it all the time. So, I mean. Yeah. I thought Makes maybe you were going for a theme. I like it. Yeah, um, I'm not that smart, but no, I just grabbed it off my... Um, if you're yeah. listening to us uh, on audio where you get all of your podcast needs served, head over to YouTube. We have two channels over that way. Uh, one for the main show, one for clips. Uh, make sure that you search for Real Blend. Give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, uh, and we appreciate your support. Uh, weekly poll. Oh, this is a fun one. So this was suggested, but Jake, will you explain to the people why you suggested this week's weekly poll? Have you forgotten what the weekly poll is already? Before I explain to you why I 
picked it. <laughs> Can you just 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 explain to me what it was? Exactly? You're gonna like uh, why I'm setting you up for this one. It's a uh, scariest '80s uh, slasher. Yes, villains. I know, I know yeah. why. Well, I've touched on it briefly on the show, but it's actually kind of nice that we're recording today because I'm almost done. Mm. Um, I came up with an idea uh, sometime in August. Every October for my show, Good Day Chicago, I always try to do some kind of a fun, scary, you know, I, I love Halloween. I love scary movies. You know, horror is my favorite genre. I love the month of October. So I always try to do some cool, fun, like scary movie story. Last year, I did this big dive into like the Shining Hotel. This year, I decided I wanted to do kind of a love letter to the 80s slasher monsters that I grew up watching. The Jasons, the Freddies, the Michaels. So I kind of came up with this idea and 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 God bless the the other three members of this show who have listened to <laughs> to every step of this process um, from. Oh, wait, hold on. I got to pause you real fast yeah. because my phone uh, alerted me recently that I was completely out of storage and I was going through ways to figure out how to get some of my storage back and i realized it was all clips of <laughs> things that you said <laughs> over the years i was like why do i have so many things because I, I record clips of my show like from yeah. my so basically i I, just, I spent a month reaching out to these different actors robert england and, and kane hodder and nick castle who played these these iconic movie monsters Basically, just seeing if they would sit down and talk with me, um, and it was that was an emotional process trying to get some people and not getting others, and people agreeing to do it and then falling through, and and me waiting on Zoom and people not showing up. But eventually, what has turned into what you know what was meant to be kind of a three four minute package. Um, I, I am proud and terrified to admit that I think this it's it's closing out. At, it's cutting to black at about twenty three minutes. Oh my gosh! Um, but it's That's really amazing. just a deep dive into. You know, behind the great behind the scenes stories, how they got these roles, what it was like when they had to kill somebody. Some some of them liked doing it, others didn't. Some took pride. There's a great like competition between all of them as to who's killed the most and like how, who has the most. It's just a, it's a really fun piece. Oh, that's cool. Is there a community of them? Very like, much they're so. All really oh, close. Oh, there's a there's a fun little back and forth moment where uh, 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 Doug Bradley, who who plays Pinhead. He goes, you know, basically like, you know, like Pinhead doesn't really kill that many people. And in fact, like Kane Hodder, who plays Jason, he kind of, he kind of, he, he calls me a And then it cuts to Kane Hodder going, yeah, he's a and then, like, and then it's just like a really fun, and then and it cuts back to Dan, uh, to Doug Bradley going, but you know, I killed a, a club full of people one time. It's just a really fun kind of community that they have. Um, I, I'm very proud of the piece. I'm at this point now where I don't know, you guys have worked on pieces before where you're so close into it. Mm. You kind of just start losing sight of like, if it's good or not. I'm, I, I, these days I can't see the forest for the trees, so I'm actually kind of excited to be done with it, mm. to just push it, push it out, let you guys see it, and um, so that's that's ultimately why I chose uh, this week's poll because um, it's because uh, I'm wrapping up this big epic piece that I've been working on for about two months now. All right, so we gave you three options uh, in the weekly poll of the scariest '80s slasher villain. I'm gonna let you guys. I, I gave Jason, Freddy, Michael, and other, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna let you know that Jason. Uh, of the three came in last 14.3%. However, between Freddie and Michael, they are separated by 0.4% Wow! of the vote. 40.4 and 40.8. So Kevin, Freddie, Michael. Really? <laughs> I would have best... thought Michael. See, I don't understand. No, I, no, I, I disagree with the choice, but I feel okay. like Halloween is just a more like prestigious horror film that like the other two are a little bit like VHS kind of dirty, grindy, 
uh, you know, like well, we like, wasn't talking about the the. It doesn't uh, matter we, legacy you, 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 of the character, know, but, but people people bring in outside factors into their choices. Freddie haunts your dreams. Yeah. Oh, Freddie would have been my choice. You can't fall asleep. Yeah. yeah Freddie's the scariest. Yeah, no I would question. actually say Michael's the least scary. Yeah. That's what that was my point. Yeah, like he got right. off to a really fast start and I put something on Twitter that was like, it's wrong that he's leading this poll. Yeah. Like he's, he's not that scary. He's generally pretty slow moving and he's yeah. just really hard to kill. Yeah, the idea of not being able to fall asleep is one of the most terrifying things I could ever think of. Like that, sure. that to me, hands down, is the scariest of the three for sure. And that's why in the first nightmare, like as they're doing things to keep themselves awake, like that's where you start to feel yeah. the, the, the pull of, yeah. of slumber. Because there's yeah. an inescapable, you know, like you can, in theory, you can outrun Jason. In theory, sure. you could outrun Michael. You can't outrun. The, no. the bodies need to sleep. Sleep exactly. Yeah. But you I mentioned like to... the first. I'm one last plug, and then and then I'll be done. But you mentioned like the first Freddy, specifically, probably as opposed to the others. In my piece, Robert England basically admits that like he doesn't straight up say it, but he says that he doesn't like the direction that Freddy went in in terms of like every kill had to be topped off with like a one liner or a I joke. would agree. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Those he didn't do that in the first two. It's really not until three that he kind of starts punching in with the. Clint yeah, Eastwood one-liners. Yeah. Three is pretty great, though. Three, three love, is, you I could argue... Three Warriors. Yeah, well, it's funny. One, three, and New Nightmare are the best, and you could argue they're the best because those are the three that Wes Craven's involved with. Have we talked about the kill in part three where he turns a girl into the puppet where her veins Ooh, come out of her arms and her feet? Oh, <laughs> we've discussed it, yeah. Ah, that's such a yeah. good kill. That's a really good one. Uh, we were almost going to do... Uh, well, now I won't even go that way. That's that's too that's too inside baseball. Uh, the others that I saw were uh, Pinhead. Mm-hmm. What, what other others were there? Gabe, uh, do you, well, you, you said eighties, so that 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 was also super limiting. Is, Is he not Chucky? Pinhead? Chucky's eighties, right? I don't Is know. Chucky eighties? Because like Candyman first... was nineties. Candyman was early nineties. Pinhead first... was late eighties. Is the first Child's Play eighty nine? It might be. I'll we'll check. look into that. While you guys are checking that out, I'm going to throw it to our if it happens uh, hashtag. If it happens, eighty eight. Interview. Yeah, and there you go. Chucky could have been in there then. Um, with the great Aaron Sorkin, who I would, and I'm saying this before we even get him, I would argue is one of our greatest uh, screenwriters, if not the greatest. Yeah, my favorite. Screenwriter. Yes, Jake's favorite screenwriter and uh, and the director, now writer and director of a phenomenal new film, which we'll talk about later in the show, called The Trial of the Chicago 7. So without further ado, either <laughs> Aaron Sorkin or 10 Minutes of Elevator Music. This is one of our favorite movies of the year. We all love it. It's blowing us away. We're thrilled that you're oh, able to join us. thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's fantastic. Um, I'm really curious because there are so many jaw-dropping moments during the trial itself that I immediately, once the film was over, wanted to go and read about it to find out if some of the things that you portrayed actually happened. And so I'm curious if there are moments that you almost considered leaving out because they might have, to you, felt a little bit too movie dramatic. There were, first of all, everything did happen, uh, and, and more, uh, uh, there's plenty more that happened that we just couldn't show because a movie can't be six months long. <laughs> um, uh, every once in a while, uh, there would be something where I'd say it wasn't a matter of, the, uh, of it being too dramatic. It was a matter of it feeling like, um, people are going to think I wrote this last week. Uh, uh, like I just ripped it from uh, a, a newspaper story and and put it in there. Uh, you know, uh, the, the 
it was 14 years ago that Steven Spielberg asked me to come over to his house on a Saturday morning. Uh, and just to be clear, I don't hang out with Steven Spielberg. That's, <laughs> That's a great name drop though. That's a really good one. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Cause we're the clank from here. Um, and he said, uh, I, I want you to write a movie about the Chicago seven. And I said, it's a great idea. That'll be a great movie. And as soon as I left his house, I had to call my father and ask him who the Chicago seven were. Um, I was just saying yes to doing a movie with Spielberg the way anyway would. Um, but as time went on uh, and the movie kind of kept getting kicked to next year and kicked to next year and kicked to next year. And then there was a period where it didn't seem like it would get made at all. Uh, in the last few years uh, with Trump, the world started changing uh, in to, to, to mirror the script. Uh, I, you know, I've been asked if, uh, if, if I changed the script at all to mirror events in the world and I didn't, not a word, uh, mm. uh, it's the world that, that changed to mirror the script. Um, we thought the film was plenty relevant last winter when we were making it. We didn't need it to get more relevant, uh, <laughs> but it did. It really did. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Sorkin, Jake Hamilton here talking to you from Chicago. You said something interesting, which sets up my, my next question perfectly. You said movies can't be six months long. Obviously, you have developed stories for both film and television. The benefit of television is that you have multiple episodes and multiple seasons over years to be able to flesh out a story. If you had been able to tell this story over multiple episodes and multiple seasons like you have in the past with The Newsroom and Studio 60 and obviously The West Wing. What are some aspects of this story that you would have loved to maybe have the chance to maybe dive into a little bit deeper than you did within the constraints of just two hours? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I thought you were going to say, uh, you said that movies can't be six months long, though you've tried. Uh, <laughs> I'd sit down for a six-month-long Aaron Sorkin film. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Uh, I, he certainly, uh, could include more of the very colorful witnesses that took the stand. Like, uh, Allen Ginsberg got up there and started reciting some of his poems. Arlo Guthrie wanted to sing all of Alice's restaurant, uh, from the stand. So there was more circus in the courtroom, but the thing I would have dramatically, the thing I would have included, which I'm, I'm sort of sorry that I ended up not including now was this. Kunstler, the lead defense lawyer, uh, played by mm. Mark Ryle, he became undone uh, by this trial. Uh, he was a fairly famous civil rights lawyer at the time who became more famous as a result of this trial, kind of like he was like Johnny Cochran before the OJ trial. Mm -hmm. um, and courtrooms like were his church. Uh, and the law was his religion. He just knew that this is a place where justice happens and fairness happens. And to see it all go off the rails, um, he started drinking. He started getting high at night. Um, he, he became unspooled. Wow. Uh, and there just wasn't enough room in the story uh, to show that. But if I could do it again, I, I, or if I could do it as a series, as you said, I, I, I'd include that uh, because I think you know, it, it's, it's a nice reflection of the way so many of us in the last few years have kind of become undone because we're seeing the institutions of democracy uh, kind of aren't on autopilot, that it really depends. Uh, uh, it's very user sensitive. Um, and 
Uh, and so we're all a, a little bit dazed and lost. Uh, and I thought including that consular story of how he was dazed and lost would have been nice. Uh, Mr. Sorkin, um, this is Kevin McCarthy. Thank you again for being on our podcast. This is such a, a, a pleasure to have you on. Um, I've been watching your work be directed by some of the greatest filmmakers of all time for years. Rob Reiner, obviously David uh, David Fincher doing Social Network, Danny Boyle's brilliant work on Steve Jobs, Miller's work on uh, Moneyball. Um, and I wonder, as you were watching these films become the movies they were based on your screenplays, what elements of those directors and the way they approached your material changed the way how you become the filmmaker you are today. I mean, are there things you can pinpoint from specific films or directors that you go, all right, that director really approached my material this way, and that influenced the director that I became on this film and Molly's Game? Yeah, I would say, and also added to the uh, list of directors you named, Mike Nichols. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tommy Shlami uh, in television uh, as the principal yeah. director of the West Wing. Uh, you would have to really not be paying attention uh, to stand next to these guys for uh, for as long as I was able to stand next to them and not pick up anything. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, so I I I I try to um, well I try to steal as much from them uh, as I can. Uh, uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll, I've watched the way they work, um, and I either think, uh, well, that's that's a shoe I could fit into, or you know, that's that's not how I would uh, want to work. Um, uh, mostly, what I try to pay attention to <clears throat> is stuff that speaks to my blind spot, a literal blind spot, which is that I, I have a very weak visual sensibility. Um, I've spent my life paying attention to how movies, television shows and plays sound, uh, and not as much attention to how they look. Um, but I'm told that, uh, the visual element in cinema is important to some people. Um, uh, so I'm trying to get better at that. Was there something specifically from Fincher, um, like on social network specifically that you learned? Yes, but in the way a freshman uh, would pick up a little something from a guy who's teaching a PhD course uh, in something like you could sit in the class and maybe you could pick up a couple of things, but there's so much you have to learn before you can understand what what he's talking about. With David, I'm talking about specifically the care he puts into uh, creating a frame. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen him spend hours, uh, on an exterior shot, trying to get just a little spill of light from a street <laughs> lamp that's two blocks away. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I would think to myself at the time, boy, I don't know if this really makes that much difference, this spill of light. And then I'll look at a shot of mine that really could have used a spill of light from the street lamp. <laughs> so I'm learning the hard way, but I'm learning. Uh, Mr. Sorkin, we'll get you out of here on this one, although I'm torn before I go into this now, because I, I would almost kill for a director's commentary of yours, but I also don't want you talking over your dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice of you. <laughs> um, listen, as the parent of two boys, I totally understand that, that you will never be able to choose uh, your favorites from anybody, but I want to ask you something right. about 
your deep, deep roster of talent uh, on this ensemble to the point where every single time I try and think of the performances, I miss out on two or three people who gave spectacular performances. Um, as soon as I was finished watching this film, I immediately wanted to go back and rewatch it to just appreciate the effort that went into it and the work that went into it. So on a repeat viewing, I would love for you to just tell me who you want people to be paying attention to outside of uh, Eddie and Sasha and Yaya who give really standout performances, a performer who you think is the glue that holds a lot of this together. Okay. Well, listen, I, I have the same problem as you do. Uh, I, you know, everywhere you turn, it's a great performance. When I come to work in the morning, I felt like I was getting tossed the keys to a formula one race car. Mm. And all I had mm. to do was not put the car in the wall and these guys, uh, were going to win the race. Um, but, uh, uh, the, the people you named, uh, uh, for sure, Jeremy strong. Um, um, I think Mark Rylance is giving a fantastic performance, but the guy um, who I think really deserves, uh, well, they're all getting credit. A guy who deserves the credit that he's getting, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as this prosecutor who's plainly ambivalent, uh, uh, but he's got a job to do. Uh, I think Joe is is great in every scene he does, and it's a very important character. It's a very important element of the film. Um, I think that he is the character probably most representative of how the audience is feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Sorkin, again, we can't thank you enough for joining our show. Um, we love My the pleasure. Movie. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you, the three of you. We have to thank Netflix for giving us time with Aaron Sorkin on behalf of the trial of the Chicago 7. As we mentioned, we will talk about that later in the show. Okay, let's get to talking points, and we're going to start with the latest trailer that dropped for the limited series, uh, The Stand. Uh, We're all on record as being huge fans of Stephen King. This is going to be a CBS All Access show that's actually coming out later this year. It's going to drop on December 17th. They had a teaser trailer that uh, dropped earlier. This is the full-length trailer. I'm going to go on record as just saying I'm not impressed. I am not. It it just, it's a very daunting show uh, yes. or story to take on and it just looks I, I hate to condemn it this way but it just looks like a tv show looks like, like network can, tv can uh, i can i just be like really simplistic here sure when see even daenerys <laughs> is uh, totally with me on that um no no uh here's the thing gabe sent a link for the stand I thought we'd already seen this series a thousand times. Yeah. Like the first thing I well, we looked at. Have. I know. And I remember being a kid and seeing the stand series on television. Like, I mean, I want to say it was ABC or something, whatever, wherever they yeah, didn't yeah. they air a mini series on the stand. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember it being scary. I just feel like, do you guys feel like we're at a point now where you see Stephen King's name pop up on a thing and you go, does he really have any involvement in this whatsoever besides yeah. the source material? And he tends and not to. He really right. tends to to just, if someone wants to take on his his stories, he lets them right. do what he wants to do. But that leads to like that awful Dark Tower movie that we right. saw. So my point is like when I see Stephen King's name on advertisements now, it doesn't really have that much weight to it anymore mm, in a weird, in a strange way. And I'm not saying that, that actually has nothing to do with Stephen King. Because the source material is obviously amazing. Sure. I'm just, I feel like we're, we're in like Star Wars territory here where you're just milking every bit of like material that we can deal with where you get a little fatigued. And so when I saw the stand link from Gabe just now, I said, 
Another one? I had absolutely no idea there was another one in the works. I was just completely... Remember, for a long time, Ben Affleck was yeah. considered. Yeah, he was directed. Remember, yeah. Kevin, you, you were with me. You Argo. remember when? Yeah, when Warner Brothers did this really cool thing when they were pushing Argo hard, like mm-hmm. to, to to be like an Oscar favorite, and they set up a breakfast with Ben Affleck, myself, Kevin, and a few other people, and Damn. like, and Ben Affleck would just like come and like sit with you and give yeah. you like one on one time. And I, Kevin, I believe he sat with you and me because naturally, you and I do stuff can't be separated. Uh, and <laughs> and I brought up like at the time he was like deep into like about to get ready for the stand like it was That's a very amazing. so I think part of the reason why it feels like we haven't been removed from the stand is because they've been talking about doing it so for much so long and yeah. it just, this just doesn't feel like I mean I hate to 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 be a sh- you know a shill for this company but like part of me is just like God like HBO couldn't have snatched this up like it would have been a great HBO like this just feels like. The exact same mini miniseries we got thirty years ago, just with better cameras and better technology. It feels network TV. Like I really wish like an HBO would have snatched it up and made a miniseries out of it. I didn't yeah. read the stand book, but what was up with the smiley face blinking? Is that in the book? No, I don't I don't remember that. I, I read the book a long time ago, but yeah. that seems That gave me Watchmen vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like the just smiley seeing face the does, circle yeah. and the, the yellow winky, it just gave me yeah. Watchmen vibes. And, and also like, I don't know, I like Alex Skarsgård, but like he's not who I would have pictured for Randall yeah, Flagg. Like Randall no. Flagg is like one of the all. I mean, he is he is the Thanos of the Stephen King yeah, yeah. universe, yeah. you know. And and like I'm just not sure. Like I was really excited for. And also, I don't think Matthew McConaughey pulled it off. Like, I'm not sure who I would pick, but it's not them. Also, and this sounds insulting, but like when you see a certain cast and and they put it together and you're like, oh, damn, they got all those people. Like you get surprised that movie stars show up in certain things. But when I see Heather Graham and James Marsden, I'm like, "Eh, yeah, that makes it. Yeah, they got them for a TV movie. And I don't mean that in in an insulting way. It just it, it reaches a certain level. I don't Kevin, I know what you're saying about Stephen King and their adaptations, but like if if um, Mike Flanagan gets his hands on a Dr. Sleep, yeah. that's you know, different. There, there's quality material to be made there. It's usually just the filmmakers they choose yeah. to but approach the, it. But ironically, just, that's yeah. also an aspect of where like he changed the source material. Like, he made <laughs> yeah. it, he made it yeah. better. Like, like it, the movies, yeah. Dr. Sleep is better than the book, Dr. Sleep. I, I guess my point is at the beginning of the stand trailer. Like, you can tell, like, there's a pridefulness about going from the books of Stephen King. And I'm sure. just like, I don't know what mm-hmm. that what that means anymore to me. Like, in the sense of there's just and I get it. I love Stephen King. But seeing that name attached to multiple projects over the years. Yeah. And a lot of them not being good. We've seen a lot of bad Stephen King adaptations. I just I don't know. There's something about that name that used to have more weight yeah. to it to me. As he's kind of like the, the the Woody Allen of horror movies. Like he puts out a new thing every year. <laughs> oh, he statistically doesn't. speaking, no, he doesn't. That's not Stephen King. Stephen right. King puts out a book a year. Um, True, a book a year, sure. Uh, That's a look, lot. Revival was unbelievable. Revival was like like eight years ago, dude. Was it really that long ago? Yeah, <laughs> I just read it this year. That's and, all that counts. And my criticism <laughs> is not towards King really at all. It's actually this is not King's fault whatsoever. It's just, he's not, he's not coming on the show. But it's he's a purely not like marketing a James thing. Patterson though, who lends his name to like you see James Patterson is the well, huge James name Patterson on the book. The junkets for yeah, but also James Patterson writes the same book over and over. And then it's <laughs> but underneath then it says like and so and so, and it yeah. turns out mm-hmm. that like the and so-and-so actually wrote most of the book and James Patterson just lent his name to yeah, it kind of thing. James Patterson's like, I tell you what, you write it, I'll sell it. <laughs> yeah. I, we'll I have a on. random question. So years ago when Shawshank came out, 
I think one of the one of the um, one of the coolest things I learned from that film was learning Stephen King wrote a short story for that. I did not know that. So I guess my my, my point was when Shawshank was coming out, were they marketing it as a Stephen King story? No, I don't. I, well, do they even did they market into that at all? Because I don't remember that um, being part of the the marketing. Yeah, no, I think they did because they made it. I mean, his movies were huge in the eighties too, like Cujo you, and Firestarter yeah. and all those. Like his oh, name yeah. was a name. Even way back then. I know, but I'm saying with Shawshank. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of Shawshank and that, if you're ever looking for a Stephen King book to read, like, read On Writing, writing. which is Mm. one of the best things. And there's a great story. I want to say it's from this book, but there's a great story he tells where a woman approached him at a grocery store. And she said something along the lines of, like, you know, I know who you are. And I don't really enjoy your writing that much. He goes, okay, well, you know, I'm sorry. And she goes, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you write something like that Shawshank Redemption? Like that's, that's something. And he goes, ma'am, like I did write Shawshank I did write Redemption. That, yeah. and, I, and great, I, I could be like screwing up the story. And basically she didn't believe him and walked away. And I want to say it's in on writing. And, but if you're a Stephen King fan or just a fan of a, a creative person's process, on writing is a freaking masterful, masterful book. But okay. like when you saw the trailer for Green Mile and saw King's name on it, that mm-hmm. that, that had yeah. meant something. It meant but, but something. He, I don't even think that trailer. I think that Did trailer that? said. I think it said from the author and the like of, from of the Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Hmm. All right, uh, let's get on to the announcement over the weekend that they're going to be redoing Cleopatra, which doesn't necessarily move my needle until you tell me that it's going to be directed by Patty Jenkins and yeah. starring Gal Gadot. Um, I'm pretty thrilled that these two are figuring out ways to continue to work together. Uh, I'd like to see Patty get away from the Wonder Woman franchise and try different things as well, too. Um, And we're going to see Gal eventually in uh, Death on the Nile, if and when that ever plays in theaters. So what are you guys thoughts on the idea of them bringing back Cleopatra, learning from the lessons of the (laughs) debacle that was the first the first time they tried to make it uh, where they went way over budget and 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 uh, their eyes were too big for their stomachs. Is that the phrase that I'm trying to think of? Yeah, I'm Um, I'm looking at this now. So the the first the original Cleopatra was 1963. It was three hours and 12 minutes. That's extensive. Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I mean, to be honest with you, Sean, you hit the nail on the head with exactly what would grab me to this movie the mm-hmm. only thing would be patty jenkins really to be honest with you i love sure. gal gadot but again i fall into that camp of what about something new what about something interesting what about 100%. something right an original yeah. screenplay but but if patty jenkins seems somehow interested in this source material mm-hmm. i have to imagine that she's going to do something cool with it yeah. i mean patty jenkins is one of our best filmmakers working today i mean wonder woman as we all know was great and monster and and she's done some great films. So I have to imagine that when you're Patty Jenkins and you have the right to go on to not right, but you have the ability to choose whatever you want to do. I mean, think mm-hmm. about it. You're 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 like I mean, you're essentially at a Nolan level where you can go, all right, Wonder Woman made all this money. I can probably choose my next project without a lot of blowback from the studios. Sure. So I would imagine that Cleopatra meant something to her. So it, I, I, it's it's that motivation that makes me interested. That's what makes me interested. Because I don't think anybody's clamoring for a Cleopatra remake. Or like, I don't think anybody's going like, can I have a Cleopatra remake? You know what I mean? No, I don't think so. Sure, yeah. but, but I'll, you talk about like doing something new. I also feel like to a certain degree, I mean, like like Cleopatra, 1963 Hollywood, that was a very t- very specific type of blockbuster that came out around that time. It was a studio I, picture. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. I feel like, and, and, and I think this is a different scenario than whenever I was bitching about Rebecca a few weeks ago. Because like I, mm. I haven't seen Sean, I know you've seen it. 
Like, I don't, to me, the, the, the trailer of the old school Rebecca and the new Rebecca didn't look different enough to justify its existence. I feel right. like there are a lot of different directions 100%. That, that, that 50 years, 60 years could, could, uh, could, could birth with Patty Jenkins' new Cleopatra. I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of interesting things, and we haven't really gotten uh, a great sword and sandal epic in, in what, 20 mm-hmm. years since Gladiator? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yes, like, yeah, yeah, it is a little bit of like, oh, we've gotten that before, but like, our generation doesn't have a Cleopatra. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, I, you know, if I wanted to sort of see a Cleopatra movie, I don't know if I would turn on the 1963 three and a half hour version. Like, yeah, I'd like right. to see so let me, a little let me bit more of a, an edgy modern one. How would you feel about a Spartacus remake, someone remaking Kubrick's film? It depends when, who when that was. When that was but I mean, so Spartacus. OK, so here's why I asked that question. Spartacus is probably is, is more of an accepted critically film, mm-hmm. right? You, you, you would say Spartacus mm-hmm. was yeah. probably a film that most people liked. Cleopatra, as you mentioned, had some issues. Mm-hmm. So I guess is it is it because the film didn't have as many issues like Spartacus being remade from Kubrick? Would that spark the similar conversation we're having now, Jake? Would you be interested in it, or would you be kind of I mean, like? Eh. I, mean, we, I feel like we kind of hit this scenario a few years ago when Ridley Scott—I can't even think of what the God—it's horrible. I can't think of Exodus. the name. He basically, yeah, Exodus he basically God remade. Kings. Yeah, he basically remade like Ten Commandments, yeah. right? That yeah. was not a good movie. It was not a good movie. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I—I'm I, all for, um, you know, someone giving a, a a new shot at things. But you know, we I we got an example of, of exactly what it is I'm talking about, which is a new director trying something different. Uh, yeah. and, and me still going, ah, I'd rather just watch Tinker. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's interesting to me. I've actually been watching a lot of older films recently. Uh, yeah, I love um, that you're doing that. And I've, I've been watching a lot of like, Jake brings up an interesting point about studio pictures. And I've been watching a lot of old school 20th century Fox studio pictures. Like I watched towering Inferno. And then the other day cool. I watched, um, the Poseidon adventure. They don't, they, these were movies that like, were like, they were like studio machines. Yeah. Like they were like, they were like cranking these disaster, these types of films out. You're right. And like, Jake, I don't know if Cleopatra was in that. It must've been in the same time period where actors were under contracts with studios mm-hmm. and you would make like, I don't know. Remember Hail Caesar was kind of all mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. picture deals and yeah. things like that. You're right. Cleopatra does kind of remind me of like that old school Hollywood yeah. system. Um, but Patty's, Patty's involvement. Now, knowing Patty Jenkins, again, not to get super nerdy, but, you know, she'll, you know, she's going to shoot on film and it's going to look old school. You know, she's probably going to bring that realm to it. So, yeah. I mean, I'm in because of her. And it's so funny because we were talking about this the other day. We were all talking about the Mank trailer that came out, uh, which looks I mean, did you guys see the cool little Netflix old school logo oh, they made? Yeah, everything, yeah. everything, just everything um, about that trailer. If that trailer yeah. is a microcosm of what that movie is going to be. Oh, yeah. That means, and Sean, so, you nailed it in, in January. You called see, it in I, January, dude. I kind of like that idea of exploring the yeah. making of like like, like like yeah. like the like yeah. trumbo trumbo was like the making yeah. of, like there was an element of yeah. making of spartacus in there yeah. um i even liked like it. do you remember uh hitchcock a few years ago i really liked great. it with, with, with hopkins played hitchcock and, and helen mirren played his wife i actually really enjoyed that. that anyone of uh, it was uh, taylor hackford was it really oh okay oh. was it helen it mirren's was, husband wasn't it helen yeah. mirren's husband who directed it oh, might have sense. been yeah the only reason why i remember the hitchcock movie so well is because jake and i were in new york doing that junket and Hopkins didn't make it right. I mean, didn't Hopkins we talk, do we talked to him via satellite. satellite. Yeah. And, That's um, right. but Hitchcock is like that great movie about the making of films. So I'm almost as interested in the making of Cleopatra. Yeah. Versus, That's uh, a, oh, that'd be a great movie. And just about like, all the, all yeah. the, um, like drama that went into going over budget and, yeah, someone someone actually so, needs to make a movie about the making of Jaws. I know there's documentaries about it, but like I'm so fascinated now by what by what fits like because like you know what the beauty of Mank and Fincher, what Fincher's doing with Mank, 
is it's I think it's going to give everybody a deeper exploration of what that film meant to one of our greatest filmmakers of all time. Yeah. I mean, uh, our, our, our generation, Fincher. And I think what's interesting about I, I love that concept of one of our best filmmakers ever researching and diving deeper into one of the greatest other filmmakers. Could you imagine Tarantino messing with like some old Howard Hawks films or like, you know, I just think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was basically that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. You know, and I, cast speaking, Charles Dance as William Randolph Hearst. Like that's. Oh, I, I did a little bit amazing. of uh, research on on because I, I wasn't super familiar with uh, outside of like it's about the making of Orson or uh, of Citizen Kane. I yeah, didn't really yeah. understand what the story of Make was going to be. It sounds a little bit like, and I mean this is a compliment because I think it's really intriguing. It's like a 1940s social network. It is it's a little bit because they're fighting about, over like, writing two credits. guys who who actually like who both claim to have written Citizen Kane, yeah. which I think is brilliant. Like. Like, like that's how I yeah. pitched it on, on my morning show the other day. It's, you know, if you're looking at this thinking like, oh, this doesn't seem like a David Fincher. But it's the 19. It's like the first social network of its time. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very excited. I mean, it looks incredible. And, you know, again, go back to the film discussion. We know Fincher shoots digitally, but that looks like old school film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Fincher is one of the masters. Did you, did you guys notice this? I mean, I think we discussed this in the show before we talked about his DP. The guy who DP'd. This movie is his first his first feature. This is his first oh, feature. That's film. right. Wow. Yeah, that's and, right. And, that's and right. he did two. I want to say he did two episodes of television that Fincher was involved in. Did, did he do Mindhunter? Mindhunter and yeah. House of Cards, maybe? Yeah, maybe one, of, one both of those. But either way, I'm I find that to be a ballsy move on Fincher's part, like to bring in. A, but again, Fincher obviously has a shorthand with this guy. I'm just surprised he didn't use Cronenworth, uh, the guy mm. who shot like you know Fight Club and, uh, and and Social Network. But I'm so interested. Now, wait, stupid question: Did he shoot black and white, or did he convert black and white? I don't know. I, I you mean like did he plan on it being black did, and white? I bet did he, he did. film in black and white. I, I bet. I bet. You know, because because directors who who make black and white movies, like Spielberg talked about, like with Schindler's List, like you you just film it differently. You 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 take more uh, right. Uh, you know, you you take yeah. like light you to light differently. Yeah. yeah, and I guarantee. But isn't there black? Isn't there film stock that's black and white? Can't you shoot black and white Is film? He, did he shoot film or did he shoot digital? He shot digitally. So in yeah, Fincher's I, was say, I don't see him shooting film with the way he shoots. Wait, but do you? So oh, do yeah, you think no he? Joke. I guess my point is, do you think he captured the film in black? Uh, the movie so, in black so and white. So here's what I'm sure happened. Okay. You can when you're shooting on digital, there are you can upload um what is called a LUT, which is like it's called a lookup table. Basically, it it gives you what your look general look of the film is going to be on the day. Um, so I'm sure either using the LUT or using some sort of other setting, you can set the output to be in black and white and you oh. can kind of sort of give it a, a, a broader color grade, if you will. OK, um, so I'm almost certain that he shot digitally, of course, because it's he, Fincher and he needs he 100 percent shot digitally. Yeah. I know that. I, and then I, I'm sure just, on yeah. the day, I'm sure on the day what they were looking at and what they were seeing was in black and white. Yeah. And it's still all the color information <laughs> is there. Um, right. But it's in black. And white. Just because black and white, I don't know if anyone focuses on that as yeah, much yeah. but like when you yeah. when you convert something to black and white things that in color might look very different and separated their gray values can be very close right so like the colors might pop and then you have this great separation between it changes your depth of field and, yeah it changes a lot yeah so so you do have to be conscious of it but i'm, I'm almost certain they have the color information they just you know what, we should get him on this show to discuss <laughs> that would be great topics cool. such as this. But you bring up a good point about lighting, and I don't want to get too derailed on the, on this. But I think it's an interesting subject, only because you do like Jake 
uh, we have this discussion all the time on the show about like Mad Max and, and, and films like The Mist where they, mm. they release a black and white version. And Jake always says, well, if you're going to release a black and white version, just have done it in black and white to begin yeah. with. So I guess my point would be, uh, I, I, I would imagine on set, Fincher must have had uh, visuals of what, I mean, there's no way the actors didn't know that they were black and white when they were shooting those days. I mean, I would imagine the playback had to be black and white. Yeah, sure. well, with a film like that, so you have cool. to, every department has to be informed all the yeah. way down to you know costume design and set design. Oh yeah, all that's going to look like. Yeah. I think, I think how instantaneous you can do it. You can do. You can essentially yeah. look at it in the moment. But it's not as simple as just changing it to black and white. Was what is what Gabe was saying. Like there's something like my it, Instagram kind, photos. I love black and white on sometimes. Instagram. Sometimes I mean it's yeah you get more detailed with it, but it is kind of as simple as just <laughs> a little changing it to black and white. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Black and White, I love it. What it's, was what's Fincher's last movie shot on film? Probably, um, I mean, Benjamin, like, Benj- like six Benjamin years Button. Years. Benjamin oh, Button might be okay. his last one. Yeah. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Makes sense. All right. My turn to brag for a little bit. Uh, news that broke since the last time we recorded. You call <clears throat> it, man. I mean, I, I'm i so in on this story. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has been added to the cast of uh, Spider-Man 3. He'll be playing Doctor Strange. I suggested a while back that this was because they're going to introduce the multiverse and they are eventually going to build to the point where you're going to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield uh, on screen with Tom Holland. I am now 100 percent guaranteeing the fact that this is going to happen. I mean, it's just all these things are falling into place. They would only fall into place for this reason. If Marvel doesn't make this happen, then they're completely dropping the ball. Uh, The question is going to be like, how big is his role going to be? Like Dr. Strange was in Thor Ragnarok, but he was in for like two scenes. Oh, I forgot. I forgot he was in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. He just shows up and sort of sends him along on his way. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, in Spider-Man, he's back in New York City. Doctor Strange is a New York City character. There's a word that got dropped that is starting to annoy the Spider-Man community to the point where Peter Ramsey, who's one of the co-directors, the three co-directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, he actually commented on it as well, too. They referred to Doctor Strange as Spider-Man's new mentor. I wanted and to ask you about that, how you felt about that. I'm I, I'm with the people who kind of feel like it's it's ridiculous. Like, Wait, but isn't it? But isn't it? Isn't Doctor Strange uh, being a mentor to Spider-Man? No, really no different than Stark. But that's the thing. So there the people who complain about Tom Holland in the MCU uh, and it, it's it, it's a nitpick. It's a small thing, but they they critique him for being Iron Man Jr., essentially. That he spends most of homecoming in a Stark like enhanced suit that he, you know, needs to rely on Tony multiple times. Uh, he like gets there hasn't really been a trouble. solo Spider-Man movie. The, but I've actually, I, I, Far From Home was enough of a solo. Sp- <laughs> no, because, well, because I mean, Nick both, Fury. like, yeah, say both Nick Fury and then Mysterio were kind of like. Well, dude, but, don't, but I guess the idea would be that Spidey's a kid. I don't mean to step on you, Sean, but Spidey's yeah. a kid. And I think there's it's so funny because like the perception you're referring to, I noticed that. But I always I always felt like Spider-Man's heart. Sp- Spider-Man's heart was the biggest out of anyone's heart out of all the MCU characters. Right. Sure. And I think I think that's what he had. That's his superpower, in my opinion, other than his normal like Spidey senses and, and things like that. Sure. At the end of the day, he's still a kid. Right. So he's fighting with adults. For sure. So I, I don't I don't that doesn't bo- does that bother you as a Spider-Man fan? Well, that was a huge draw of what made him intriguing as a as a character in the comics was that he is super young and he makes a lot of mistakes that kids make. Yeah. Um, and he almost has to clear them up sort of thing. I was totally fine with them using Tony to bring him into the MCU. And I I understood at the very least, you know, that that was their intro to bringing him in and that him losing Tony was significant. But I really thought that at, by the end of Far From Home, they'd got him to the point where he was ready to just now carry films on his own. I also still love the team up aspect. So if it's point. cool that Doctor Strange pops up for a, um, a a scene or two, I think that's great. But I don't want him to be like, I'm your new uh, mentor. I'm the guy who's guiding you along. Um, you know, some people have said maybe it's possible that he goes to Doctor Strange to help him with the fact that his identity is now out. Like that got revealed at the end of Far From Home. So mm. I think it's cool that Marvel has this sandbox of characters they can play with and they can pick and choose who's going to drop into certain things. And truthfully, almost all of the Marvel films uh, of late have had some type of crossover, like Nick Fury becomes a significant part of the Captain Marvel origin story. And um I'm trying to think of some other examples. Uh, well, like the fact that Thor was probably going to show up in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Like they have them all here now. So they're going to start working them together. I just was also ready for a full on solo Spider-Man movie where he got to be his own character. So so I'm torn. I, I, I'm fascinated to see how they're going to use Benedict Cumberbatch if they have him there so that he can introduce the multiverse even further. And we get closer to this theory about the Sinister Six joining together uh, and Jamie Foxx playing Electro. And is Watts them- doing three? Yes, John Watts is doing three. They're going to start filming it very soon. Yes, they're going to start filming it in Atlanta, uh, I believe, next month. So this is senior year. Yeah, I asked Feige about that, if they're still maintaining that pattern. 10, 11, 12, yeah. And he said he didn't see any reason why not, but the blip was a big thing. Like, the blip was... Oh. You know... What do you think that, it's going to be called? They said home's going to be in the title again. I, I, I saw I saw someone say homesick. I kind of like that. It'll one. be uh, Spider-Man and Sherlock Holmes. 
Ah, uh, he oh. could do that, I guess, if he wants. Okay. <laughs> not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. Gabe. That's not bad. <laughs> That's actually not bad, my friend. <laughs> He's not That's Dr. Strange at all. Benedict Cumberbatch cast. <laughs> He's Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes. All right. I, I get it. And then, then they bring in Downey. Is, 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 that, that'd be amazing. Oh, my God. I'm it's a multiverse. Multiverse <laughs> <of> Sherlock. <laughs> and they can get Superman now. The Sherlock verse. Oh, my gosh. The Holmes verse. Kind of mind-blowing. Uh, it's still on track for next December. Uh, we Sony are so in desperate it, need of movies. And they're not going to. Mo- yeah, no, I know. I know. Um, but they're still shooting and theoretically they're coming out. So, so we'll uh, I saw something about them shooting in New York and we have a, a real blend listener who posted something on the Facebook page about posts around his neighborhood. And he said that like that, that whatever the, like the filming name was like that was code name for Spider-Man three. And he said that they were going to be filming around his neighborhood. It was another Seinfeld reference. All the two Spider-Man films up to this point have been nicknamed after Seinfeld. Um, the homecoming this was named, Serenity now, isn't it? Yeah, this one's Serenity now. The first one was Summer of George. Yeah. And I forget what Far From Home was called, but they've they've all been Seinfeld references. That's awesome. I, that's I think funny. John Watts is just a really big Seinfeld fan. That's huge. So, Who's so that's not? pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then they're going down to Atlanta to shoot the bulk of it. So sure. um so we'll see. But I assume we're gonna start hearing some more casting news uh as I, that. So Sean, I don't think oh sorry. No, no, all I was gonna say was in regard in regarding uh the Cumberbatch uh uh news. Yes. So what exactly is has been said that he is gonna be in it, but you're yes. uh, the, the the assumption would be like you've heard rumors that he might be like a more of like a father figure kind of walking him through, but what exactly has been confirmed? These I, are guesses at this point, but what's been confirmed? Yeah, just that he's in it, he's playing okay. Doctor Strange, and they've called him a mentor. But we but um, Is the mentor official from the studio? Not from the studio. No, the studio hasn't confirmed anything. This is just in Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just in Hollywood Reporter. But I assume Can we're going to get a rundown because I don't even know. Honestly, Jamie Foxx is going to be in it and he's playing Electro, but they haven't confirmed whether he's truly Electro from the Andrew Garfield movies or whether he's just Electro. I know that that's something that's been speculation. I also bluntly play like straight up asked my Sony rep, like, is Electro the villain? And and I was told, like, we don't we don't really know. <laughs> We don't know. She said Kevin Feige's driving the ship, you know, and and Feige lets news come out as he wants it to come out. And so sooner or later, it's going to get it'll get. Dude, revealed. they're saying Holland could get nominated for an Oscar for uh, Cherry. That'd be amazing. Like, I mean, I mean, that's directly from like the Russos. They've been saying how good he is. In the, I know they directed it, but I mean, <laughs> I, listen, at the end of the day, I mean, Tom Holland could be an Oscar nominee by the end of uh, by by next year. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see Cherry. I can get behind that for sure. I can't uh, briefly, wait briefly. David O. Russell's next film. Uh, so I'm excited by any new David O. Russell film. Same. Uh, this one will star Christian Bale, who he's worked with a number of times now. Uh, Margot Robbie, who's fantastic. John David Washington, who's absolutely carving out his niche. And it's going to be shot by Chibo. And as Gabe points out, that's all we know. And that's basically all we need to know at this point. Um, I'm 100% sold. Jake, you're saying you kind of hate David O. Russell, though? No, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> right. I, uh, no, I, I'm just like, I like David O. Russell's movies some more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, really love Three Kings. Really love The Fighter. I kind of thought Silver Linings Playbook was a little bit overrated in American Hustle. If I'm being oh. honest, did absolutely nothing for me. Uh, so like, you know, I, it was interesting, like before the show popped up, Gabe said something about David O. Russell and to watch all three of you perk up so quickly. And then I sort of went like, Oh, like David, like, like, sure. Like, like when it comes out, like, but I'm far more interested in it from the cast than I am the fact that it's a David O. Russell movie. Joy is the only one that I could, su- yeah, I could say did. like joy didn't work. Yeah. Um, joy. I don't, I know, I don't even know if they knew what that story was. But yeah, I'm with you, Kevin. I love Silver Linings Playbook. I think it's, but phenomenal. I didn't love hustle. Hustle was a little off to me. 
I'm, I'm with Jake on that one. It felt a little like unfinished. Like he had yes. he had a, a big chunk of the idea, <laughs> but didn't necessarily know where it was going to go and just had I, that great cast and figured he'd lean on him. I also I'm also appreciative of a Russell just from a standpoint that he shoots on film. Um, he always shoots on film, um, which yeah. is cool, too. So and I think what it'll be cool is like he'll bring Lubeski uh, back to shooting on film because Revenant was digital. And I love Lubeski's digital work, but I, I, I just think that everything Lubeski's done on Dude, film, including Children of Men. Gorgeous. I love The Revenant. Great film. It's visually. Gorgeous. It works digitally because of the because of the whatever. I, I find that film it's good. I don't love that movie like you. Oh, do, that was but. my number one that year. Uh, Gabe, we don't know any story point on this. None whatsoever. Uh, yeah, what I was reading today, that was that's pretty much all. The, apparently, they're keeping the story um, and the plot. That's interesting. Close to the chest. Yeah. All right. Uh, this week in movies, I don't think that there's a lot here that we can talk about. No one's seen An Honest Thief. Liam Neeson, Jai Courtney. Did the junket? Jake and I both. <laughs> What's so funny? Junket. Did you watch Jake? it? Well, I'll tell you a story. So I did the junket. So Jake and I were interviewing Liam Neeson for that, and we both didn't have time to watch the movie. And mm. I remember like texting Jake that day because I mean, like sometimes these screeners don't come until late. We have fifteen junkets on one day. I mean, I don't even remember what day this was, but I remember texting Jake. I'm like, dude, did you watch the movie? He goes. I watched enough to know my questions or whatever it was. Like, I watched the first, like, so I put the first five minutes on and I got everything I needed. I mean, again, I, as, you can as watch a, the as, trailer and it gives you. When we go just, back to junkets, we're going to get to a point where we watch 10 minutes of the movie. I know. Walk no, no, out. Is there a shuttle? Is there I, a shuttle? <laughs> I mean, can here's we the back thing. To the hotel? Like I, I've been, I've been getting like PR emails of like, when I get a junket invite and they're like, Hey, have you watched all 10 episodes of the show yet? I'm like, who has time yeah. to watch all of these? And again, I've, yeah. I, real, I've never got. I, now I've heard people in hospitality suites say, "Oh, I watched all ten. And I just like my thought is like, that's How? a day's work. Like that's yeah. like if it's if it's if they're hour long episodes, that's a day's. That's a more than a day's. You work. know what show we're watching right now? And it's these perfect thirty minute episodes, and it's endearing as hell. Ted Lasso on April oh, TV. I heard on that Apple is TV. fantastic. I did that joke. Lasso is hilarious. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Um, you, know, you, know, you know what i'm watching this you know it's, it's so funny because i feel like we keep reducing down what we want from like like over the like the last six months we've been like oh god these 90 minute movies are great yeah, yeah. And, and there are days when lost was 24 <laughs> episode seasons and now we're like oh eight episode seasons are great yeah. I'm, I'm now watching um m night Shyamalan's apple series uh servant Oh, okay. uh, which is a great and it's, it's, they're 30 minute episodes and they're great. You know, 30 what? minutes a piece. And Qu- Quibi was just too early. Like if come yeah. back with Quibi yeah. in a year yeah. and I'll be yeah. like, ooh, six minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Did you watch any more of, uh, of Bly Manor or did you start Bly Manor, Sean? I haven't started it. No, I really I want your thought just because you were such a big fan of Hill House. I really want, I, I, I'm I will 100%, say 100 uh, percent. But uh, I'm we're just we're in into so many other things currently yeah. right now. And yeah. I just want to finish them. I you need some closure before I start another thing. I am watching Hill House with amanda because amanda's never seen oh. it and i'm just i'm just reminded of how good it is and was and how much better like last night we watched the bit neck lady episode mm. and hill house that, is a masterpiece that, it's it's, a, it's and it's so much better than bly manor yeah, yeah i was just going to mention the plan is before the end of october we'll do a segment on bly since um cool oh shoot, i think yeah, better get going I do want to mention well, only because the show just ended. And Gabe, you saw this. I know this is not in our in our notes today, but we both finished the boys. 
Um, oh. And oh, it yeah. was amazing. That was uh, awesome. I won't say any details because I want to no watch details, it. No details. No details. But if you're a fan of the first season, I, I, I'll say this real quick. I don't think season two is as good as season one, even though I do like season two a lot. But the last two episodes of season two are some of the most batshit insane yeah. things. It, it almost got to a point where like, like, you know, we see so much content and so much crazy things in movies. Yeah. And you start thinking to yourself, how do they keep coming up with ways to kill people in shows that are different and like and crazy? This show takes it to such. I mean, they the, the practical blood on that show must be half their budget. It has to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has to be half their budget. I mean, I cannot remember the whale scene in the first uh, uh, couple episodes of season two. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my like God. Uh, so it's I crazy. won't give any details, but a brief my brief like two sentence it's review good. of season of season two is I don't think it hits the way season one did because season one was introducing us to yeah. the crazy. Yeah. But I think season two does a great job of building on season one in that like the characters are all very familiar to us. They each of them grow a little bit and seeing them interact now is more fun than it ever was in yeah. season one. And like you're saying with the last couple episodes, it still hits yeah. the highs of being crazy as fuck. And to Gabe's <laughs> point, though, it's, it's, I liked it a lot. Gabe brings up a really interesting point about why that show works. So it's the characters. Um, yeah. Like you are so involved with the show's characters. You care about the relationships. Frenchie, a character that could easily be a thrown away character, is so, so deep. Like there's so much going on. And even like Chase Cusack's performance this season as deep is just outstanding. I mean, the whole Scientology or thing. Chase, Chase Crawford. Tra- Chase, Crawford. Chase, yeah. Chase Cusack's my buddy. <laughs> Chase <laughs> Cusack. to the show and he's, he's going to hear this and love this moment. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Chase Cusack. <laughs> Chase Cusack is the last person I sat next to in a movie theater before everything happened. Like Gabe, because we all, yeah, because we all saw a quiet place together. Jake, Jake, uh, Jake Chase, and his lovely girlfriend. We went and saw uh, uh, Quiet Place Part Two. But Chase Cusack is a good dude. I meant Chase Crawford. Sorry, (laughs) and had the best pizza we've had in a really long time. I know it's worth going back to New York just for that reason. Okay, uh, Disney Plus, October sixteenth. Clouds. I don't know what Clouds is. Is it a new Pixar animated? No, it's something with Nev Campbell. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, uh, well, no, I don't think I can say that. Um, I'll tell you guys something after the show. Uh, American Utopia, Spike Lee's new film uh, that's coming to HBO Max. It is a concert documentary, we believe, um, yeah. about so the, make it, David Byrne. David Byrne. OK, gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. it's coming to HBO Max on October 17th. No one's got a chance to see it, though, correct? Yeah, right? I'll, I'll give yeah. the descriptor real quick. It's on HBO Max. Uh, IMDb says Spike Lee documents the former Talking Heads frontman's brilliant, timely 2019 Broadway show based on the recent album oh. and tour of the same name. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, cool. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by Spike's interest in it. Like, I, I don't really know much about the Talking Heads. And I just feel like it's such an interesting uh, I'm now I'm interested in seeing. I want to know what he and David Byrne Man. wrote it. Yeah, it looks I cool. chalk up the Talking Heads as one of those bands that every that people love and I just don't get. I don't know much about Talking Heads. I just don't get them. I don't I don't get them. And the Pretenders is another band that everybody like raves about the Pretenders. And I just like, no, I don't I don't I don't understand it. And so I, I'll I, check this movie yeah. out and see if it's if it's engaging. But it's cool that it's a Broadway show that and Spike filmed it. I wonder Do how he filmed it. Does Spike get director nomination this year for Five Bloods? Yeah, uh, right now. Yes. Right now, yes, I think if so. They, yeah, I, th- I think if they to, didn't to your extend point. the uh, the eligibility two months. I'd say almost certainly. Yeah, it was a dumb move. 
I'm going to keep complaining as everything yeah, keeps yeah. moving no, backwards. No. But now like, it feels like we're starting to f- we're starting to honestly start seeing Oscar stuff like like Sean. I know seeing is one night in Miami. I think that's a big buzz one right now. No man. Regina King could obviously get in for director. Guys, yeah. what if it's Fincher's year? Oh, what God. if it's Fincher's year? That'd See, now amazing. Fincher. Ha- here's why Fincher has the upper hand. Hollywood loves movies about movies. Hollywood loves Citizen Kane. Citizen People Kane's feel like he's beloved. due, and they feel that they should. I, I feel like there's this attitude of we should have given it to him for Social Network. Plus, Oldman is like Oscar gold. Oh, Gary Oldman God. is like you, you, Gary Oldman. You just automatically assume like, wait because he won his first Oscar for um, yeah. Dark he's been Sour. nominated twice. He got nominated for Tinker Tailor Soldier, Soldier Spy, and then won for oh, God. Mank is going to be. Do you guys know? And I'm what if it's bad? Wait. What if it's bad? <laughs> Has he made a bad movie that was his no, fault? No, no, no. no, no. I'm, I'm even going to say, because I know you, you you put the was his fault as stipulation, I'm assuming, for Alien 3. I don't I think like Alien, Alien 3. 3 is bad. I'm and with now, you, Jake. I think, I think there's, there's a kernel in there that is a testament to, like, if they just... I mean, could you imagine a world yes. where we had a true David Fincher Alien movie? Mm. Like, you can see where it got messed with. And I understand why a lot of people got ticked off because of the beginning, because it, kill, you know, it kills off new... Jake, I'm with you. I don't mind yeah. Alien 3. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys know the, the story behind Rosebud and, and why... Rosebud is named Rosebud in Citizen Kane. No, I, I don't think so. I feel like it's I have an, read it's this. It's an amazing story, and I hope to God it's in Mank. It's can you tell best. it or no? Can I? T- it's can, it's it's sexually graphic, and I tell it. <laughs> uh, then I and have you heard decide. it. Yes, I have heard yeah. it, and I would advise you not to tell. It. It's <laughs> the best story. It's yeah. the best. It's like 1940s trolling. Yes, is it that is. really? Yeah, is it, I've is heard it that real? Story. Is it real? Yes. I, I, I I looked it up to see if it was real, and I found it on multiple. Oh, there you so go. Now going. we're sending everybody to Google after you're done Stupid with the show. Stupid question. Right. Who's who's playing Orson Welles in Mank? Not an actor whose name I recognized. Because uh, he's only 26 Tom, when he made that movie. Tom so something or other. Must not, be some young kid. Not someone that we know. Um, but that's going to be a really good. big role. That's a huge. Did you, imagine? Did you guys ever see, uh, and, and I feel like people kind of, it's a, uh, uh, I don't think his director's name. It, there's a movie called uh, "Me and Me and Orson Welles." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, I've heard, it's Zach I've heard Efron, it, but didn't see it. And it's guy. Uh, it's from the director uh, Linklater. It's a Linklater movie. Is it? Oh yeah, okay. and it's about uh, Orson Welles when he was directing a uh, um, a Broadway production of Julius Caesar. What? Mm. It's really so good. Random. Yes, Gabe. Uh, Orson Welles is being played by a an actor called Tom Burke. Thank you. He, he was an only Ooh, God biggest. forgives, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he look hmm. like him? Maybe he doesn't even have Enough. that big of a part in the well, in the movie. Who knows? I don't I don't know how that's possible because Orson Welles directed and stars in it. It's like in, yeah, in, in Citizen it. Kane. I, I by the way, I want to give credit to that movie real fast for the makeup. That's some of the most incredible makeup I've ever seen in a film. And that's 1941, whatever year that was. Yeah. Insane. Insane. Let's get to a movie that is opening on October 16th that we want to rave about for a little while. When you talk about things that are potentially going to be in the Oscar race, um, I think the Trial of the Chicago 7, if Netflix plays its cards right, has a chance to be in a lot of major categories. Although I wonder if Sorkin has a chance to break in because, to comment briefly, well, we'll, we'll get into this conversation. Um, I think some of its stronger points would be its screenplay and, and a few of the performances. Yeah. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 is Aaron Sorkin returning to the field of courtroom drama. 
uh, obviously something that he dominated in what I consider to be one of my favorite films of all time, A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men has, you know, it, it's it's remembered a lot for its courtroom scene, but the courtroom is really the last 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of film leading up to that prior yeah. to, which has to be laid out before uh, you get to that point yeah. or it doesn't make any sense. Yes. Is Rob Reiner an <coughs> underrated director? Oh, yes. Well, yes. here's why I say that. He's directed some of the most iconic classic films of all time, and Few no one good ever men. brings him up. I agree. Few Good Men, When Spinal Harry Tap. Met Sally, Spinal Stand Tap. Stand By Me. Uh, Stand, by, Stand me. by Me. Wait, there was uh, a Princess a Bride. Sl- Princess Bride. Made, made a there's slew a of misery. great films, and then made a slew of awful American films. President was good, too. Misery? No, he's, he's terrific. But well, Reiner well, doesn't, Reiner's <laughs> never listed in, like, great director uh, lists. He's made um, phenomenal films. He's, he's oh, made, did you say misery? He made misery. Yeah, misery. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he has. I know. But then I, I think then I think he went down a slew of like horrible films. But anyway, North. we're not talking about. Ryan. We're sorry, talking, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry for God's sakes. Um, this is a political film, a historical film. It's not one of those films. So it's about the um, riots that took place outside the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Uh, and the reasons why different protesters were brought to the city um, to be outside of the convention center, which everything eventually went south. There were uh, riots and protests and uh, confrontations with the police. And then the bulk of this movie is the trial against the Chicago 7, uh, which is made up of people from different groups that were, uh, again, part of the part of the protest and whether or not they incited uh, violence against the police. So you can tell just in that description a lot of the parallels that you could make to things that are going on today in our own headlines. Uh, it plays off of, I thought, a really razor sharp Aaron Sorkin screenplay. Uh, it, it is it, it's and Jake, you got to ask him this question. Um, it's he's directing essentially a courtroom drama because he didn't get to direct the courtroom scenes uh, for a few good men. And to me, it's it's still currently uh, the best thing that I've seen so far this year i just thought it was uh, so engaging and it could have been it it set itself up to be as preachy and as uh soapboxy as possible and it's just not i thought it was so like entertaining is going to sound like a really strange word to use for it but it moves so fast and the performances are so good and the script is so solid and there's so many amazing people in supporting roles so that you get like Mark Rylance as uh, the attorney who's defending the Chicago seven and he just steals scenes that he's in and Frank Langella as the judge who's phenomenal as someone who just wants no interest in, in giving any leeway and Yaya Abdul Mateen uh, is fantastic as somebody who's lumped in with the Chicago seven and doesn't feel like he belongs there. And he, in fact, it was the Chicago eight for a long time until they became a Chicago, Chicago seven. Um, I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. And, uh, where are you guys at with it? I gave it five stars in the review that we put up on cinema blend. Uh, I'll jump in Sean, just because I think I'm closer <laughs> to you than I am with Kevin. Um, also loved it. If you asked me to do a top 10 right now, there's a good chance. I would go, just go ahead and call this my number one so far mm-hmm. this year. Um, thought it was a razor sharp Sorkin script, but also like allowed to breathe. It didn't necessarily have and or need that rat a tat 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 tat. You know that 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 kind of you know percussion uh, that often is uh, accompanies the 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 speed in which Sorkin writes. This the same intelligence and the same sharpness, but just slowed down a little bit. Yeah. Um. But I decided it was really it was much more um, confident and mature filmmaking 
then Molly's Game, which I didn't, which really Molly's Game was a yeah. was a movie I really wish he'd let someone else direct. Um, I thought this was incredibly well done, you know. And you talk about the ensemble of her performance. I mean, this is the kind of movie that the the um, the the SAG Awards are made for. I mean, like oh, you God, could yes. you could th- there's not a, a major actor in this movie that you could say that person gives the best performance, and I would argue against you if you came to me and said. Sasha Baron Cohen gives the best performance or Eddie Redmayne or Frank Langella or Abdul. Mm-hmm. I'd go, sure. Okay. Like I, I, there, you know, and there's even like a great, um, a list cameo who I don't want to ruin, who is fantastic in the movie when he shows, I didn't even know he was in the movie, um, when he shows up. Uh, and so, uh, no, I, I absolutely love this movie and, uh, was really, and obviously like a little bit biased because everything that happened, like happened like 18 feet from where I'm sitting at this moment. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I, I was very, very, very happy with it. But Kevin, I don't know if you're going to start here, but Kevin brought up a, a part about the movie that even though I gave it five stars, I I can't disagree with. Um, do you know what I'm going to say or do you uh, want to just say it? Uh, no, Well, just knowing you and knowing our conversations, you're going to say that it would have been different if it was directed by somebody else. And uh, mainly because he's worked with some of the greatest directors of our time. Like he he obviously is going to turn over an amazing screenplay. But in the past, we've seen people like Danny Boyle, David Fincher, uh, Rob Reiner, as you mentioned, take a crack at his uh, scripts and they are phenomenal. And I, th- yeah. I think he's still developing as a filmmaker. But the minute you said that, Kevin, I was like, ah, oh, God, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Well, it's it, it, and it's one of those weird things where I truly feel like this is a great example of the, of a script being better than the overall film. Um, I think that. There are lines of dialogue in this screenplay that I think will stay with me forever. Um, there's a line about uh, anything. You could do anything to anything by taking it out of context. Mm. Like those are lines that I'm just going to always cycle through my mind um, because it, they're so powerful. And the way this film opens, in my opinion, very strongly. I love the way the dialogue is passed off between each character. Um, and I think it's so smart how it's done. I remember I was interviewing Aaron Sorkin for this, and he said that he had the actors finish the whole lines, even though he cuts them off. Um, I I thought it was kind of a cool thing, because you think about a screenwriter, when you write a script, you have dialogue that you've written out, and then either a Fincher or somebody comes in and directs it for you. So there's a you lose a little control over over your work. But, you know, not, you know, when Sorkin writes something, a director is obviously going to try and keep it as Sorkin like as possible. But when you're Aaron Sorkin and you write something cool like that and you can direct it yourself, it's cool to be able to, you know, chop it up. He was editing on the day in his mind. Um, for people who aren't aware of what I'm saying, in the beginning of the film, we're introduced to the seven, the, the main characters, and each character basically hands off dialogue to the next. And it's very, it's very cool. It's very, it moves. It's There's walk and talk element in there with Yaya Abdul. It's like a relay team. race. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Like handing I, I, off the baton. I, I, I and it's very quickly that. introducing yeah. you to all the people, too. you got to yeah. hold on tight and it's figure out who quick. Yeah. Cause the cast is it's enormous. It's intimidating at first. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think I think that's the whole point. Right. I think I think uh, Sorkin is setting you up for urgency at the beginning of that film. Mm-hmm. It's an it's an urgent movie. It's an it's urgent about what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, Sorkin, you know, in talking to him for this. I truly got a, a really unique understanding of what, how much this meant to him. I mean, like to, for him as a filmmaker to be outside shooting those protest sequences, and he said extras were jumping in and actually people were just jumping off the side of the street to be part of the, the chant. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, the chant that we hear in the film, which is the, uh, the whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. People yeah. were walking by while they were filming it and jumping in to do the chant with them. Like he's, the, the energy of this film is so 
interesting to me. Um, I love a courtroom drama. Um, I don't feel a dire- the director's voice, Sorkin's voice, flowed through the whole film for me. Um, I think as a writer, his voice is there in a weird way. But from a shot choice and a directing standpoint, I just found myself at times not being able to see past the actors who are playing the parts. Um, I think Redmayne, his American accent is brilliant. That's one of the most insane American accents. I mean, I didn't even recognize his voice. Like, it was Mm. incredible. Um, I think that uh, there's actors in this film that deliver great lines, great dialogue. I just didn't find myself. I, I walked away from it thinking that was good. But I did not find it to be extremely it didn't hit me as hard as I wanted it to. And mm. I felt like as relevant as it is, like the five bullets oh, is, is relevant. So, it's so relevant. Not to cut right. you off, Kev, but like I was mm. dumbfounded at, at how like when we were watching riots play out this past summer and, and then to watch it so quickly after you'd think that they jumped into the streets and filmed it like two months ago. Well, that's I mean, they, like there were protests. At yeah. Grand Park, where they filmed the protest that took place in 1968. <laughs> but Sean, remember your Spike Lee interview when you asked Spike Lee if he went out and filmed those those yeah. shots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For I sure. mean, th- like the, the 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 five bloods and the relevancy of these movies is something you can't not look past. Yeah. I mean, you can't you, you can't not see it. Um, I think which I is think sad because it just means it's cyclical. Like yeah, we're I just know. we're doomed to repeat yeah. all these things that we're that we're facing. I think for me, Trial of the Chicago Seven is a very good movie. I don't think it's a great film. I think it's very, very beautifully written. I think it's an incredible script that I would love to have seen Fincher or Spielberg take on. Um, I do think performance wise. Listen, I've been I'm a fan of Sasha Baron Cohen outside of all the Borat and Bruno stuff. I mean, I think he's he's so talented. He was brilliant in Hugo. He was brilliant in Sleepy Hollow. His performance in Sleepy Hollow is incredible. Um, Yeah. And lame. Yeah. Wait, wait, Sasha Baron Cohen's in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Wait, no, I'm Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. I'm thinking of Sweeney Todd. Oh, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney oh, Todd. Sweeney My Todd, apologies. Yeah. Sweeney Todd, he plays uh, the yeah, Pirelli's the Miracle barber. Elixir. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was thinking, getting the two confused. Um, but either way, I think he's a good actor. I, I just didn't find Chicago 7 to be, like, mind-blowingly great. All right. We well, all can check it out for yourselves when it hits Netflix on October 16th. Great score, though. Yeah. Let's get to the blend game uh, where we're playing hashtag zombie movie blend and... Uh, We'll let our resident horror expert go first. Jake, take it away. Um, my choice, I feel like, is a little cliche, and it wouldn't surprise me if one of you guys uh, picked the same one. But I'm going to 28 Days Later. Hmm. Um, this this idea of and and Walking Dead ended up doing it years later, and I feel like kind of gets more credit for doing it. But we forget that that Danny Boyle did it first. This idea of waking up in the aftermath of uh, of a zombie insurrection. And this idea of walking around and going like, wait, what? What happened? Mm-hmm. You know, we're so used to sort of, see, you know, it's kind of seeing, you know, the virus break out or the animal bite somebody or they were kind of, you know, but the fact that, you know, we're literally, you know, no pun intended, skipping 28 days after and, and all of that stuff that most zombie movies are about, we're skipping. What was the hook? Was he in a coma? He was in a coma. Okay, I forgot. That. And and he wakes up in a hospital and is walking that great shot where he's walking over the bridge and you can see Big Ben yeah. behind and you know the trash is all over the place and and you know I feel like at that point then we really started seeing in the in the two thousands a lot of different movies with people running around and like you know desolate you know Will Smith in Times Square and Tom Cruise in Times Square you know yeah, like yeah, all yeah. these you know we really started seeing that but I feel like that's one of the first ones where people were really like what the hell. 
And, you know, the it was really one of the first big movies that had, you know, these zombies like really at a, just a virally fast pace, like these really fast zombies. Um, I, I just love the idea. And it also like, you know, it, it's also like emotional, you know, that 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 scene where uh, Brandon Gleason very quickly has to say goodbye to his daughter because he had the blood drip into his eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he knows oh, right, that he right, has right. just moments yeah. where he basically says, look, like. I'm so like I'm sorry like I I'm so sorry uh, and like just like so it's 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 a terrifying movie it's it's a great unique fresh angle to a movie that we've been seeing since you know for for decades by this point um, and and also just gritty enough early enough in Danny Boyle's career where it's not super polished I kind of felt like 28 weeks later was just a little too polished and blockbustery um, and uh, and so I I don't know it's I I went a lot of different directions. In, in within the the zombie uh you know the genre it's subgenre and uh but i couldn't get past any, anything as good as 28 days later kev did you pick that also no no it was something else did you go with that i did not no so go okay. ahead What's yours? do you want to go next i'll go next um go next. i yeah. i don't really care for zombie movies <laughs> it's not my favorite genre um even the really great examples of it, I just don't find all that interesting. Um, when I'm seeking out certain horror movies, I wouldn't necessarily gravitate toward a zombie movie. Um, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that the threat of them feels uh, repetitive, that it's hard to make them unique and different. And like the biggest argument comes down to like fast zombies or slow zombies, but they're all just like mindless creatures that want to, you know, chew your flesh or do whatever they want to do. So it sounds like a premium I, episode, by the so way. So I like it. <laughs> you may get that topic in a little bit. Um, I like uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I almost chose that. I ended up wanting to gear more towards the comedies. And instead of picking Shaun of the Dead, I picked a movie called Night of the Creeps. Have you guys seen Night of the Creeps before? I have not. I have not. Night of the Creeps rules. It's from 1987, I want to say. And um, it's start. It's very similar to the type of movie you've seen before, where uh, a blob esque type creature lands on our planet, um, breaks off into tiny little um, insect creatures. They look like slugs, and they move very quickly along the floor. And they go up into your mouth. They jump into your mouth, and they infect your brain, and they immediately turn you into a zombie. And there's a police officer on a 1950s. It's like shot black and white. Uh, who go, is uh, he's at Lover's Lane and he's trying to break up the um, uh, the couples that are all together. And uh, turns out some of the couples are zombified, right? Like they got infected by these little aliens and they turned into zombies. But the only way that you kill a person who's zombified in Night of the Creeps, you have to do a combination of two things. One, you have to shoot them in the head and blow their head wide open. But then you immediately have to blowtorch the the slugs that are inside the person's head because if not when you when blow the person's out? head open the slugs go everywhere and then they infect more people so it's like a comedy um and uh like a romantic comedy sort of thing because there's a college that's going on uh that is going through like the sorority beats of the 1980s where the cool kids are trying to ask out the sorority girls and there's a nerd kid who who thinks he has a date sort of thing. And he ends up teaming up with the police officer and they have to take down all of the, the creeps on the night of the homecoming dance. And there's just so many great jokes packed into it. Like there's a great scene. See, I don't want to give too much of it away, but there's a really great sequence where like a prom, uh, a bus filled with uh, meathead fraternity guys is on their way to go pick up the the 
the women for the date uh, for the homecoming and they all get infected. And I don't want to tell you how, but it's a really funny way that they all get infected. And it's this great character uh, who plays the grizzled police officer who was the he was the young officer in the beginning of the movie. And he ends up becoming the grizzled police officer later on. And he's got to come back together to fight the creeps. It, It made me appreciate zombies and what you could do with zombies uh in that instance because it makes a lot of jokes about how slow they move and why can't we fight them because it just just should be much easier um so if you haven't seen it night of the creeps is really really funny it's got some really great 80s humor in it and it builds to a tremendous tremendous face-off uh between zombified fraternity guys and sorority guys (laughs) and this nerdy person with a flamethrower on his back um you should definitely check it out. It's really, really it sounds cool. awesome. It's, it's, Dude, you saw the, what a sell, man. I'm all really, in. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It was really great. So that's my pick. Um, I went I went with uh, Zombieland only because I just think Great that choice. I love Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. I think they're brilliant writers. Um, I'm also a gigantic Metallica fan. So if you have a thousand frame per second phantom camera filming a slow motion, that's pretty great. Uh, that, those, zombie, those credits are great. I mean, the credits at the beginning of that film, they use this phantom camera. They're going a thousand frames a second. And you have for whom the bell told by Metallica blasting during these (laughs) awesome credits and like the way they use the words on the screen and the double tap language and um for me this was a great movie because i also love the love story in it i also loved eisenberg and emma stone's love story mixed in with the chaos of how ridiculous this film was at the end of the day this movie is kind of spoofing or joking about zombie things but it's also taking itself just serious enough where I'm entertained, but also on the edge of my seat, also grossed out. I mean, the whole zombie kill of the week when they drop a piano on a zombie was just, it was just <laughs> insane. I mean, those, those, and to me, I, I, I try to think of moments in, in a movie where you just become so floored as an audience member. And I think that nothing made me happier in a long time than seeing Bill Murray show up in that film. God, um, such a great cameo. And I, and I just think, and it's, here's what's great about that cameo. Every time I watch it, I've seen Zombieland at least 10 or 15 times. I pray that Eisenberg won't shoot him. Like every single time I'm just like, dude, I hope he, maybe this time he'll realize that, that Bill Murray's just joke. Remember Bill Murray walks in he's joking like he's a zombie and then Eisenberg <laughs> shoots him. And it's like this, such a sad scene. It's, but, but it's, uh, but I'm glad they did it that way because it made it so emotional, but also fun. I mean, the fact that they had Ghostbusters costumes on, they were doing don't cross the stream bits. Um, and I think it was just, it was just funny. Uh, well, don't they make a joke about another actor who's a zombie and like Bill Murray's like I saw him last week. He's doing great. Eddie Van Halen. Don't they say Eddie Van Halen? Oh, is Eddie Van Halen? Really sad. Is it really? I'm almost certain <laughs> that there's a, a, a there's a there's a bit in the film. Someone double check it. But I'm almost certain that Bill Murray mentions seeing Eddie Van Halen at like somewhere else uh, in, in the world of Zombieland at some point. That's weird. So, someone double check that, which is very. Yeah, it is in there. Um, it's, I, yeah, didn't that's hate, yeah. I didn't hate random. Double Tap. I thought Double Tap was pretty good. I, I don't know if we needed it, but it was pretty good. Double Tap was unnecessary because like that's what made so, Zombieland so special was because it was so unique and so much fun. And yeah. I think Woody Harrelson, one of his best performances. I love Woody Harrelson in Zombieland. Yeah, I, I just really think fun. that they have so much fun with the clever nature of that story. They mess with the the concept. They have fun with it. It's new enough. It's fresh enough. And then if you add heavy metal music and slow motion, I'm in. I mean, I, <laughs> you can, I just also, love I, those movies. I love movies where you can, I feel the same way about the Oceans movies, where you can just tell that the cast is genuinely... Oh, having yeah. a good time and getting along and enjoying like and yeah. i feel like you could absolutely tell 
that, that the leads in Zombieland are just having that you can tell they all really like each other and you can tell that they all yeah. really, you know, I kind of something that I wish this show had. Also, <laughs> also, you throw in a theme park at the end. I love theme sure. parks. Yeah, I love yeah. I love theme park. I like, love theme parks too. I, I love a theme park in a horror movie. I don't know why, but it's fun. Like that one piece that's like sh- like going down like this. That's like swooping yeah. up the zombies, and then they go up. What's that thing that shoots them up and they come down? And the zombies are like crawling up the uh, whatever it was. But they were, but I thought they were so. They use space really well to have fun, and then mm-hmm. the whole twink the Twinkie bit. The Twinkie bit is classic. Him trying to get, just get a Twinkie at the yeah. end. I mean, it was like, I don't know. I just love that movie. Love right. Zombieland. Audience picks. Benjamin Price, Jess, Brian Stever, and many, many more picked a film that I haven't yet seen, but I've heard really great things about. Train to Busan. Dude, I was getting ready to ask you this question. I got so many tweets about this. It's a 2016 Korean film. It's mm-hmm. on which Netflix, I think. It's supposed I, to be phenomenal. I, I yeah. looked it up. I want to see this movie. Everyone we is saying it's it. phenomenal. We should all watch it. And I know that they... Week. They did a sequel to it recently, and it wasn't yeah, as I heard good. It wasn't good, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, the that Train to Busan is supposed to be amazing. Uh, Marcus Brown and No went with uh, Dawn of the Dead, 2004, the Zack Snyder version. Uh, Janet Metzger and many others went with Night of the Living Dead, obviously going with the classic. Real James, Dante, and many more went with Shaun of the Dead. Uh, I love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's really funny. And Indy so Christina good. said Resident Evil. So thank you very much for participating this I like this the week. first Resident Evil. Yeah, where they're sure. underground in the hive, the first one. I like that Resident? one too, and, and that has yeah. one of the coolest deaths ever. Remember, like the, the remember that big like uh, laser thing that comes at that guy. And oh, slices that's him right. Into, like, oh, that was fun. Sections. Yes. Hot take. Hot take. By the way, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead better than Romero's. Yeah, I think that's true. Actually, yeah. Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is phenomenal. Is that a hot take or is that? I don't think. I think that's a lot of people really feel that. Take? All right. Yeah. Really? It's lukewarm at this yeah. point. I think some people prefer the original, but I think a lot of people know the. I, I, and also, I think it's one of those really things where, like, Romero rightfully gets credit for, like, kind Consumerism of what, and, yeah, what, what yeah. we think of of you know the zombie movies these days. Yeah. But by by no means is he like the end all be all in terms of quality. Yeah. Uh, I, I went back and rewatched saying that. Yeah. the opening seven or eight minutes of Snyder's just to see if I was going to pick it. And it's yeah. just, it's so phenomenal. Movie's <laughs> amazing. So great. I know. You forget how good that was. Like, that was another, another really good one that plunged you into, like, oh my God, we're at the zombies yeah, already. We're, like, yeah, we're there. Oh my God, it's, it's starting. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, next week's. Uh, I was going to say zombie game. Next week's blend game is hashtag sci-fi horror blend. So I have a feeling we have a lot of debate over what counts there. Uh, if you're going to be hanging out in the alien franchise um, or the Terminator franchise, are Terminator films, horror films. One of them might be one of them. Might be. So did you uh, see salvation? Come up with your <laughs> pick for sci-fi horror blend and yeah. uh, share it with us on social media using the hashtag hot sci-fi horror. Uh, this week's review. Oh, I'm sorry. You can also email us at realblend at cinemablend.com as I tell you guys every single week. And that is where Randy Buss sent his review this week. And he writes, I have been listening to Real Blend podcasts from the beginning when it was first called Awards Blend. Awards season is my favorite time of the year for the show because I love hearing people's top 10 lists and why they picked the movies that they did. Outside of awards season, it's still a good show to get the latest news on what's coming to theaters and other major news in the industry. I'm always interested in hearing the boys' reviews of upcoming movies they have seen before the rest of us get a chance to, as long as they keep it spoiler-free before it comes out in theaters. The discussion on older movies have led me to watch... Many of them that I never saw with some good results and some not good results. Check out Night of the Creeps, Randy Buss. You will love that one. (laughs) 
In summary, I just wanted to say my thanks to everyone involved with the show. The chemistry between Sean, Jake, and Kevin is great, and you can see they have a special friendship, which is so nice to see in this day and age. The passion that they show towards the movie industry is outstanding, especially Kevin. Kevin has to be the Dick Vital of movie podcasts. He gets so excited talking about his love for movies. A special shout out to producer Gabe for putting together the podcast. A lot of times people behind the scenes get overlooked, but not by this listener. Great job, Gabe. Great job, Gabe. Nice. I, I, it's funny. I actually feel like we give him too much credit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would I would say well, that's because I'm, I'm contractually you're obligated. <laughs> uh, I want to remind everybody that you can go and submit reviews for us on the uh, Apple iTunes podcast. You can send it to us at realblend.com. Um, we just want to continue to grow out the Real Blend community. Oh, to really quickly pitch to because we haven't in a while. The uh, Facebook community, uh, there's a Facebook uh, page for Real Blend. They have a Reddit sub uh, subreddit sub thread thingamabob that we can do. Um, Subreddit's the word you're looking for. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, <laughs> that you can join if you want to, where they're constantly discussing things about the show. And um, and I feel like there's another one, but I'm blanking on what it is. Anyway, oh, premium episodes. You guys want to sign up for uh, premium episodes that we are releasing every Monday. Uh, it is at bit.ly backslash real blend premium. This week is going to be a, a new game that Gabe is going to try to uh, get us to do. It's called this or that. Uh, and this one's going to be a horror edition. Do you have now, like a, do you have like a theme song? We kind of don't. <laughs> I'm sure you will come up with one. I was going to say, Jake, I think While you're going to sing it show. for us. At you the can beginning. deal with this. That, you can deal with that. that. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I wish we could afford and that. And we get sued. <laughs> what song is that? What is that? Um, that is, that is song? Uh, oh, that's that uh, that the um the song where Christopher Walken's dancing through the hotel. No, 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 hmm. you're thinking of something different. Um, you're thinking of uh, this tribe called Quest, aren't you? Yeah, I think no, so. No. Uh, What's Black it? Sheep. The choice is yours. Oh, it's Black Sheep. That's, oh. Okay, yeah. isn't that yes. the song where Christopher Walken's dancing through the No, he's dancing through the hotel in the um not Moby. Uh. Wait, which Christopher Walken movie? Chris Walken. The Christopher no, Walken video. Music video. It's a video. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I think that's... Uh, is that... Is it Moby? A Weapon of Choice. By who? By uh, Fatboy Slim. It's Fatboy uh, Slim. Fatboy Slim. Aren't they basically the same? Fatboy Slim and Moby. Has anyone seen them in the same place? Has anyone seen both of them with Pitbull? That, that music not. video <laughs> directed by, uh, by Spike Jones. Yes, it was. Yes. All right. So anyway, uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, follow us on social at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, and at Real Blend. Uh, uh, hopefully we had Aaron Sorkin this week. Um, and we'll be back with a new episode soon. And so until then, Hubie Halloween. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.